Welcome to Winston's Benefits Blast podcast. I'm Susan Nash, and today I'm joined by Amy Gordon. During this episode, we will be presenting on the alphabet soup of health accounts. Recent proposed regulations by the Departments of Labor, Treasury, and Health and Human Services have introduced two new types of health accounts. And so Amy and I were thinking it would be a good time to go over the existing types of health accounts that we have today, as well as these two new types of accounts. I'll get started on an overview of what we've got under the proposed regulations, and Amy's going to then follow up with some of the different types of accounts that we currently have. Under these proposed regulations, which were issued in late October, the IRS and uh, Labor and Treasury Departments and NHHS have basically backtracked on the guidance that we had under the Obama administration and have now said that health reimbursement accounts can be used in conjunction with individual insurance policies purchased on the market. These um, individual coverage HRAs, or ICRAs as they're being called, are a new type of benefit that can be offered to employees. They have to be offered on the same terms and conditions to the same class of employees, and you have to show that the individuals are enrolled in individual coverage in order to have access to these ICRAs. They also can't be offered um, at the same time as traditional coverage to the same class of employees. But they are a way that smaller employers and possibly sectors of the workforce, such as part-time employees, might be able to enjoy the benefits of an employer-funded account, but also have individual insurance coverage. There are some issues with how these uh, accounts interact with the premium tax credits on the healthcare marketplace exchanges, and also how these affect an employer's shared responsibility requirements, and we do have some recent guidance from the IRS on those two points. In addition, under those proposed rules, the IRS also proposed, uh, along with Labor, Treasury, HHS, that um, employers could now offer what's called an accepted benefit health reimbursement account. Those, which are being called EBRAs, um, can be offered to employees that also have some other form of health insurance coverage. And under those um, accounts, they can reimburse any type of medical expenses, there is a cap on the amount of the coverage, which is $1,800. These types of accounts will probably be offered to um, sectors of the workforce where an employer wants to allow for employees to use a little bit of extra money to pay for out-of-pocket expenses, deductibles. They can be used to pay for COBRA premiums, um, premiums for short-term limited duration insurance or accepted benefit coverage, but not for individual insurance market coverage. Um, so these are two new types of accounts. Amy, what are some of the other accounts that employers might be offering to their employees these days? Thank you, Susan. There are health savings accounts, also known as HSAs. There are health reimbursement arrangements, also known as HRAs. And then there are health flexible spending accounts, also known as FSAs. These three tend to get very confusing. Uh, Employers are continuously asking us different questions about these types of accounts, and so we thought we would try to demystify uh, what these accounts are and what they can do. So what they all have in common is that they can all reimburse eligible medical expenses. Uh, We refer to those as 213D. That is the actual code section. Uh, health expenses, all on a tax-free basis. There is also a little bit more flexibility with an HSA. You can essentially buy anything with an HSA. Uh, The only problem is that if you buy non-medical expenses with it, you actually have to pay a 20% penalty on that uh, purchase. 
Um, there are a number of differences amongst the three accounts. For example, um, they all have two out of the three actually have statutory limits on what you can contribute. So, for example, for the 2019 limits, an FSA you can contribute up to 2,700 tax-free. For an HSA, self only, for 2019, you can contribute up to 3,500, and the family limit for an HSA for 2019 is 6,900. An HRA, there are no limits. However, you are subject to non-discrimination testing. So an employer can't, for example, fund an HRA on behalf of highly compensated employees and not non-highly compensated and still have the benefit as a tax-free benefit. And then under those proposed rules, the EBRA, or the Accepted Benefit HRA, would have an additional limit of 1,800 if those are finalized. What are some of the distinguishing features in terms of whether the employee owns the account or not? Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. So as far as ownership is concerned, when you are looking at an HSA, the employee owns that account. When you're looking at an FSA, it is essentially held in the employer's name, but for the most part, an employee can receive reimbursement of the total contribution amount on day one. If that employee leaves... They can't take an FSA with them, but there are COBRA rights that, uh, that trigger, and so that they could s continue to receive reimbursement. An HRA is held in the name of an employer, and depending on what the terms of that plan are, an employer can forbid an employee from taking that with them if, if the employer so chooses. So, Susan, what about COBRA? Tell us a little bit about COBRA and the three accounts. Yeah, it's interesting. The IRS um, has always held the position, as well as the Department of Labor, that an HRA, a health reimbursement account, is a group health plan for purposes of ERISA as well as the Affordable Care Act. And that's one of the problems that we've had with HRAs traditionally is whether they are also subject to the ACA market reform requirements, such as the prohibition on having a cap on essential health benefits, um, or whether they have to cover preventive care for first dollar coverage. And that's why we have to get into the issue of whether they have to be integrated with either individual or group health insurance coverage. Um, so it's, it is a health plan, and so the COBRA rights would apply to those types of accounts. Same with a health FSA, COBRA would apply to those, although the, there is a special rule that in most cases you only have to offer COBRA through the end of the year in which the qualifying event occurs. But for health savings accounts, those are not group health plans um, under ERISA, and so you don't have to offer COBRA in connection with those accounts. Um, one of the complications that we typically see when an employee has a health savings account is that the employee cannot also um, have a general purpose health flexible spending account and or a general purpose HRA alongside that health savings account without disqualifying themselves from making or receiving uh, tax-free contributions to that HSA. Could you talk a little bit about how this interplays with wellness? Sure. I think one of the issues employers have when they're offering this whole alphabet soup of accounts to employees is making sure that one of the types of benefits they're offering doesn't disqualify the employee from participating in another benefit. So we often see employers that will offer a high deductible health plan slash 
HSA benefit, but also they might be offering health reimbursement accounts or flexible spending accounts. They might also have a wellness program or perhaps an on-site clinic. And so to the extent that the person's participating in the high deductible health plan option with a health savings account, they would have to be limited in terms of the other types of benefits that they could participate in, or to the extent they had access to um, an on-site clinic or certain types of really robust wellness benefit programs, they might have to be charged a fair market value amount to access those services if they're still under their high deductible health plan deductible. Because under those rules, the, um, the plan, the high deductible health plan can't reimburse for any other health coverage until the person's met their high deductible amount. So we do work with a lot of employers looking at the full range of benefits being offered. I think this will be interesting if these proposed regs are, f when they're finalized, I do think they will be finalized. Um, in terms of employers looking at now the two new types of accounts and how those might be used, they'll probably be used not, uh, you know, you can't offer traditional health insurance and an ICRA and you can't offer an ICRA and an EBRA at the same time, so you'll have to kind of look through your full range of options, but make sure that they all interact with each other in a way that's legally compliant. We always get questions from employers about uh, the use it or lose it rule and whether people can roll over and take with them uh, their account balances. And, and those rules have really loosened up over the last couple of years. Um, uh, Way back when, when you had an FSA, the only thing available was to actually exhaust your account by the end of the plan year. But nowadays, there are some other options that employers can do. They can have a grace period that allows someone up to two and a half months past the end of the plan year for someone to exhaust their account balance. There's also an, a, a carryover feature where you can allow employees to carry over up to $500 into the next plan year of unreimbursed expenses. And then with respect to HSAs and HRAs, those are very flexible. There are no mm -hmm. use it or lose it rules. You actually can roll over the remaining account balances year after year. Well, you own the health savings account, so that is portable, fully portable and non-forfeitable, which is great. We also oftentimes see what's called a pop-up HRA, where it might only be used in connection with retiree medical benefits. Uh, in that case, it's only to be used after termination of employment. It might pop up based on years of service or, or um, you know, length of service. There'll be so much contributed to the account per year of service that pops up at the time of retirement, and the individual can then go on to um, a private exchange or some other type of individual product and use the funds to pay for those. So those are very popular as well. And then talking about retirement, you actually could forego uh, reimbursing yourself under a health savings account and essentially keeping those funds until retirement and using that to purchase qualified Medicare products and then reimbursing yourself also for unreimbursed medical expenses well into your retirement. And as you pointed out, you could actually use it for any type of expense. You just might have to pay income tax or an excise tax if, it's, if you're below the age uh, at which you, you're, you're subject to that tax. Well, I think it, you know we've we've uh, covered the waterfront in terms of all the different types of accounts. I think it's a really exciting time to have all these options available to employers. Uh, I think the key takeaway for us today is that there's many options out there in terms of savings accounts, 
you need to assess what you're offering and make sure they all integrate together well. But it, it is it's possible to offer certain types of accounts to certain populations, such as part-time employees or retirees, that you may not be offering to your actives. And, uh, and that's a way of, of getting benefits to groups that may not traditionally have been uh, given benefits in the past. Correct. And again, these three, along with all the other proposed types of accounts, give an employer a lot of flexibility as to what they want to offer employees and retirees. Thanks to everyone for listening to another edition of our Benefits Blast podcast. Make sure to stay tuned for future episodes for more insights on the latest legislative, regulatory, and practical developments concerning employee benefits and executive compensation. And also remember that Winston has a blog on our website for updates on the latest legal developments in the employee benefits area. 